Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is indeed the inspired, the infallible, the eternal, and sufficient word of God for us today. Now, I feel like I say this every week, but our, it's, it's true every week, but our passage this morning, this teaching of Christ concerning worry, it builds directly off last week's passage concerning the sin of covetousness, the sin of greed, the parable we saw last week of the rich fool. If you weren't with us last week, we looked at this passage from the earlier portion of Luke chapter 12, and Jesus gave this parable of the rich fool last week, and in that parable we saw someone who, out of greed, out of his greed, he sought to accumulate more and more wealth for himself in an attempt to gain security, not only physical security, but Jesus says he sought to gain security for his soul. And at the end of the passage, Jesus charged his disciples to not give in to this sort of covetous spirit, but instead, he said, be rich to God. So in our text this morning, that Jesus turns to another issue, one that is truly connected with the sin of covetousness. Remember, too, last week we talked about how greed, covetousness, is not a sin that only rich people commit. It's not a sin that poor people only commit. It's not a sin that only white people or black people or anyone else commit. Covetousness, greed, is a universal problem. It is ingrained in all of us. It is part of our fallen human nature. This is why God, in giving the Ten Commandments, made a point to say in the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. It's a human problem. Well, out of that human problem comes another issue. 
this issue of worry and anxiety. And so if greed and covetousness is universal, then surely these issues of anxiety and worry are a universal human problem. Now we might say, how is greed and anxiety, how are they connected? Well, they're connected this way, beloved. Greed, covetousness, is a heart condition in which a person is never satisfied with what they have. It makes a person never content. Worry, in a sense, is very similar. Worry or anxiety is a deep-seated fear that we will never have enough. Kent Hughes is a pastor. He said, greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid it may not ever have enough. He says, worry is the emotional reward for material preoccupation. And so in teaching his disciples, Jesus, having called his disciples to be rich towards God in last week's passage, now focuses on this issue of anxiety and worry. Now we must understand that what we are about to look at this morning in this portion of Luke chapter 12, this charge from Jesus Christ is a charge to his disciples. The commandment in this passage and the promises in this passage, they are for those who follow Christ. They are for those who have repented and received Jesus Christ by faith alone and who are seeking to follow him in a faithful life of Christian discipleship. These are not universal promises. Jesus is very clearly, we see in, 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 in verse, um, verse 22, he's very clearly speaking to his disciples directly. And he gives them this command. Do not be anxious. Don't worry. Now I want you to notice the physical emphasis on this command. Jesus says what you are to not be anxious about. Don't be anxious about food, what you are to eat. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious about clothing, what you are to wear. Now we in our culture today don't really, most of us don't have those concerns. We know where our next meal is coming from. We know what we're generally going to wear in the morning. But these two things, food and clothing, would have been very relatable to the disciples of Jesus Christ at that time. Remember, Jesus is on the road at this point, making his way to Jerusalem for the Passion Week. And they're basically, the disciples who are going with Jesus, are basically living a nomadic life right now. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They don't know when their cloaks and their sandals are going to wear out, when they'd have the opportunity to get the materials they need to mend or repair them, or even acquire new garments as they travel. So these are very specific fears to the disciples at that time, food and clothing. But I do believe that Jesus intends for us to expand Expand this command to not worry about food or clothing. Expand it to a broader range of physical fears, anxieties, worries. Aging, illness, death, mortgage payments, job security, job opportunities. If you're in school, grades. or If you play on the sports team, uh, different challenges you may have there. College, politics, war, 
famine, pestilence, whatever it is that fills our society with fear and anxiety, Jesus is telling the people of God, do not be anxious. I want you to notice Christ's reasoning for this command. Notice the reason Jesus gives for not being anxious. Verse 23, he says, life is more than food and clothing. Life is more than the physical. When he says that, that word life, it literally translates to the word soul. So here, in this context, it's used to embody the whole of human life. And it serves as a reminder to us that we are more than just our physical stuff, the physical flesh and bones and organs that make up our human bodies. We're more than that. Now, understand we're not less than that. God didn't make a mistake when He created us as body and soul. But we are more than that. We are more than just physical beings. We are physical, spiritual beings. So Jesus says, don't worry about the physical things. You are more than just a body. But then also He says in verse 30, another reason to not worry Verse 30, don't worry about the physical things of life because that is not a Christian worldview. That is not how Christians are supposed to think. It's not the right mindset for a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the mindset of a pagan. He says, for all the nations of the world worry themselves about these things. In other words, pagan nations worry about these things. Pagans seek after and worry themselves about the physical provisions of life. That was the issue with the rich fool from last week. He thought he could earn his security. He thought he could earn security, rather, for his immortal soul through acquiring more and more wealth. This is what the pagan consumes themselves with. This is not the way the Christian is to be thinking. Instead, beloved, the Christian is to realize Jesus Christ is the only security for our our eternal souls. And if we belong to Christ, Jesus is reasoning here, we can set aside anxiety about our physical bodies because our immortal souls are already secure in Him. Through His life, death, burial, resurrection, we are reconciled to the all-powerful Holy God who, through Christ, is now our loving Heavenly Father. So Jesus says, don't worry. Here's the reasons why. Now we as Christians, I think, we understand this. If you're a Christian, hopefully you understand this. You hear this, you think, I understand that. But I still worry Anxiety grips me. It can cripple me. It can make my life just a constant darkness over me. And, and, and we hear Christ's command and we say, yes, Lord, we get that. But it's still a hard command for us to follow. Friday morning at breakfast, I was sitting around and, uh, you know, I was thinking about this sermon and I was putting my thoughts together, and I said out loud, you know, how can I, being someone who struggles deeply with worry and anxiety, 
uh, almost constantly. It's never crippling anxiety, but ever since I can remember, I've been one to struggle with fear and anxiety. I said at the breakfast table, how can I ever preach a sermon to you about the command of Christ to not be anxious? And my son Paul said, uh, everyone worries, Dad, and you're doing it right now. He's right. I'm sitting at the breakfast table, worrying, being anxious about preaching a sermon to you about not worrying and being anxious. It's a hard command for us to follow, despite what we know about who we are in Christ Jesus. And so what's the remedy? What's the remedy for this gripping fear, this anxiety, this worry that grips not only the people of God, but really culture, society as a whole. What's the remedy for the Christian to fight against the sin of worry and anxiety? And it is a sin. If Jesus commands us to not be anxious, what are we doing when we're anxious? We're breaking a command of our Lord and Savior. So what's the remedy? Well, Jesus gives us two remedies. He gives us two solutions, if you will, to this issue of fear and anxiety. The first one is to consider God's providential care over his whole creation. Now, we use this word providence a lot, especially in Presbyterian and Reformed circles, and it might be one of those words you you might label Christianese. People who aren't Christians don't usually sit around and discuss providence. But what is providence? Well, Our Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Shorter Catechism says that God's works of providence are His most holy, His wise, and His powerful preserving and governing of all His creatures and all their actions. His most wise and holy preserving. Brothers and sisters, When we are faced with anxiety and worry, what are we doing? We are forgetting about the providence of God. Jesus does not want us to forget about the providence of God. And so he says in verse 24, Consider the Father's providential care for the ravens. He says, The ravens never spent a single day reaping and sowing. They never spent a single day farming. You know, you can't drive down the road and, you know, I grew up in Amish country, so people would constantly come to take pictures of the Amish, which, by the way, if you ever go to Amish country, don't take their pictures. That's against their religion. It's an offense to them. But people would come and they'd come to see Amish farms. You can't do that with ravens. You can't go and see a raven's farm. They don't do that. Now, Jesus says they don't, they don't farm, they don't reap, they, they don't sow, and yet God feeds them. Now, of course, understand, Jesus is not saying this is an excuse for idleness. We are created to work. Work is one of the first things God had humans do in the garden. He gave them a task of naming all the animals, and he gave them the task of of working the land. So this is not to say, just be idle, be lazy, don't worry about it, God's going to feed you. No, in fact, the scriptures speak against those kinds of attitudes. But he is saying that the ravens, as they do what they were created to do, they weren't created to farm, but as they do what they were created to do, they don't worry about where their food's going to come from. Instead, God 
feeds them. Out of his providence, he cares for the ravens. And then Jesus says, consider the lilies who never made a piece of clothing in their whole lives. Lilies don't sit around and sew their garments. And yet, Jesus says, God has clothed them in radiant splendor greater than even King Solomon, who was the richest, wealthiest king that Israel had ever seen. Here's Christ's point. Remember, you are far more precious to your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father gave up what was most precious to Him, His only beloved Son, to redeem your life. And if your Heavenly Father cares and preserves and provides for these lesser created beings, the ravens and the flowers, the birds, then how much more so will He care and provide for the ones to whom He gave up His only Son? That's Christ's point. You are created in the image of God as a special act of God's creation. And more than that, if you have received Christ by faith, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that reality was incredibly costly to God. And so if He cares and provides for these, these uh, things of creation which are not created in His image, how much more so will He care for you who is created in His image and who is, by the power of the Spirit, being conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's Christ's point here. And then He says something interesting verse 25. It's almost like a, and besides that, kind of statement. He says, what good does worrying do anyway? Tells his disciples, you can't add a single moment to your life by worrying. Although we do know that worry and anxiety can take away from your life. We know the negative impact on our quality of life that crippling fear and anxiety can have. We know the impact that fear and worry and anxiety can have on our own health. But if you can't add even such a small thing, I love how Jesus says this, if you can't even do such a small thing, like add an hour to your lifespan through worrying, then why worry? It literally does no good. And so this is Jesus' first remedy to this anxiety and worry that all of us struggle with. Consider God's love and care for his creation. And remember, he loves you far more than the birds, the flowers, the grass. So if he cares for them, preserves them, provides for them, he will surely care and preserve and provide for you. That's the first remedy Jesus gives us. Secondly, verse 31, the second remedy to fear, worry, anxiety, seek the kingdom of God. The word seek, it means to set your heart. Set your heart upon the kingdom. Now we pray this every week in the Lord's Prayer. Say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. We probably should know what we are praying when we say, Thy kingdom come. It means at least three things, but three things that are applicable 
to our sermon this morning. First, it means that we are seeking an increase of Jesus Christ's rule and reign in our own hearts. He is our Lord. That is the earliest confession of the Christian church. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's our King. And when we pray thy kingdom come, we are asking for Christ to magnify his kingdom reign in us, to root out the dark parts of our heart, the dark rebellious parts of our hearts, root them out and increase our kingdom reign. That's the first thing that seeking God's kingdom means. Secondly, it means that we are seeking an increase of Christ's rule and reign in our own families and beyond our own families within our church. We want to see our families live submissive, worshipful lives to our Lord and our King Jesus Christ. And we desire for our entire church to be a church that bows the knee before Christ's sovereign reign. But then thirdly, it means that we are seeking an increase of Christ's rule and reign in the world around us. That that more and more people will come to know Jesus and bow their knee before Him and declare Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom. Set your hearts on these things. Set your heart on Christ increasing His rule and His reign in your heart and in your family and in your church and in your community. This is the remedy to fear and anxiety and worry. And this was a huge moment, I have to say for myself this week, beloved, a a huge moment of revelation, really. And I don't mean that in the sense that God whispered sweet nothings into my ear, but I mean that the Holy Spirit illuminated the meaning of His Word to me in a new way this week. And He applied it to my life in a way that I had not been thinking before. Why do I worry? Why am I anxious so often. It is precisely because I am not seeking the kingdom of God in the manner that I should. All that I have, even as a pastor who makes his living, who provides for his family by studying and preaching the Word and shepherding God's people, all that I have is not given over to God and to the work of the kingdom. That's why I struggle with fear anxiety, worry. That's why you struggle with anxiety and worry. You are not giving all over to Christ. You're not seeking first His kingdom. And it is a symptom of all of us being, as Christ scolds His disciples in verse 28, is a symptom of all of us being of little faith. Now, not no faith, Christ doesn't say you are of no faith. He says of little faith. My life, or I'm sorry, my faith, your faith, it is so oftentimes smaller than the mustard seed. So all of us, I think, have to go before Christ as the man did in Mark 9.24 and say to Him, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Beloved, Jesus wants us to see here that seeking the kingdom of God, it is freeing. It is freeing. It frees us from something and it frees us to something. It frees us from worry 
and anxiety. But it frees us to be rich toward God. Verse 33, Jesus says, when you're seeking the kingdom of God, God will add the physical provisions you need, and so you can sell your possessions. You can give to the needy. Now, these are not necessarily specific commands, but the point of it is this. When you seek the kingdom of God and trust that he will provide for you, whether you have much or you have little, you can be generous. You can share in what little you have. You can give to the poor. You can support those who are in need and not worry that you're going to starve to death or go without the essentials of life. Seeking the kingdom of God frees us from anxiety and fear. It frees us to be rich toward God. It frees us to be generous Christians. Why do we struggle with fear and anxiety, beloved? Well, it's all these reasons we talked about. We forget God's providence. We don't seek His kingdom, but above all else, it's because we forget about our eternal inheritance. It's just not real to us yet. It's so hard for us to remember and hope and trust in what our physical eyes don't see yet. The reason why we forget about our eternal inheritance and the reason why it doesn't feel real so often is, again, because we do not seek the kingdom of God. If we would seek God's kingdom above all else, when we spend time in prayer every day, ask God to increase His reign and rule in our hearts, and when we spend time in prayer, and if we would ask the Lord to increase His kingdom rule over our families, commit ourselves to the work and worship and fellowship of our local churches, and together as one body seek God's kingdom, if we would seek to make Christ and His kingdom known to our neighbors and the community around us, I guarantee you, beloved, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of Christ's glory and grace. When we seek the kingdom, the great promise given to us in verse 32 of our passage today will become more and more real in our hearts. That wonderful, comforting promise that Jesus gives us when He says, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you understand what he's saying there? We have an inheritance that is unimaginably great and grand. We are heirs of the kingdom of God, and God takes great pleasure in giving us the kingdom. If we would remember that, if we would set our hearts upon the kingdom of God above all else, the words of Jesus, when he reminds us of that promise, will, will indeed become more and more in focus in our lives. Our eternal inheritance, our everlasting treasure, which is already stored up for us, where no thief can approach and no moth can destroy, that will become more and more visible to us. I don't mean we may see it with our own physical eyes, but our eyes of faith will behold it more and more clearly. And when that promise becomes more and more in focus and more and more real to us, we will no doubt find that our fears and our anxieties and our worries will become 
less consuming. They will become less and less haunting, less and less crippling to us. We will find that we will become more and more enabled to obey Christ's command to not be anxious about anything. 